This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. This is another podcast of World Wide Wave, the international LGBT news and current affairs show, every week on Australia's first LGBT radio station, Joy 94.9. Surfing the globe, bringing you news, views, and current affairs for the LGBT community. This is the World Wide Wave. Yes, good evening. It is World Wide Wave time. Joy's international news and current affairs show for and by the LGBTI community. We love taking you around the globe one queer story at a time. I'm Matt, and I'm joined in the Victorian Pride Centre tonight by Alex. Good evening, Alex. Good evening. There are many books written about World War II. They document the advances and losses. They illustrate the patriotism and bravery, and even sometimes the foolishness and cruelty of war. However, there are very few books that detail the life of homosexual people in wartime, and certainly none from New Zealand. Well, that is, until now. One Kiwi author uncovered the story of three gay female impersonators, part of the New Zealand Army Corps. Their job was to entertain the troops, and they did so in many ways. What started as a casual chat about life in the Army for a research project turned into an 11-year obsession for author and academic Brent Coots. The result was the book Crossing the Lines, the story of three homosexual soldiers in World War II. Here's a taste of what's coming up tonight. I think homosexual men found room to manoeuvre in their private lives uh, during their wartime military service, and they were able to pursue uh, their sexual interests. I think being away from home, being away from the scrutiny of their family and community gave men a freedom that they didn't necessarily have back in their own communities. Period of Anzac, the Australian New Zealand Army Corps, is legendary. It is caught in schools, it is taught, sorry, in schools and remembered each year on Anzac Day when the people of two of the two neighbouring nations stop to remember those who died in war. But that spirit has largely been silent on LGBT people in the services. Don't ask, don't tell. There were, of course, gay people in the armed services. In recent years around the world, their stories have started to be told. Uncovered almost by accident, the stories of three New Zealand homosexual men who spent their tour of duty entertaining the troops as female impersonators is now being told. It is a story of bravery, of sex, of finding yourself and of survival. The people who unearthed their story, sorry, the person who unearthed their story is Brent Coots. Brent is an academic and author of the book Crossing the Lines. We asked Brent to give us an overview of what he uncovered. Well, Crossing the Lines is a story of three homosexual men, uh, using the term they gave themselves, uh, in the Second World War. Although it contains uh, 50 uh, gay men uh, that have served in the New Zealand forces during World War II. So I was really pleased to get that many um, also included in the book. The book is about three men, Harold Robinson, 
Douglas Morrison and Ralph Dyer. Uh, all three were already very comfortable with their sexuality, their homosexuality, uh, before the war. Harold Robinson ends up in the 36th Battalion. He's first serving in Fiji, and then Norfolk Island, New Caledonia, Guadalcanal, and the Treasuries. And it's in the, the 36th Battalion that makes the first opposed landings for New Zealand forces since Gallipoli. And Harold and his boyfriend are there. But Harold also is a Batman for a number of key officers, including um, uh, John Marshall, who later becomes Prime Minister of New Zealand, uh, a very conservative Prime Minister. So uh, people are very um, intrigued by him having this rather um, camp, shall we say, uh, Batman, who also is a female impersonator uh, for that um, battalion's own um, concert party, which was called the Tui Concert Party. Harold meets Douglas and Ralph uh, in, during the war. Uh, Douglas and Ralph are the two female impersonators in the Kiwi Concert Party, which is the main concert party in the Pacific. So how did you come across this story and why is it only now that we're hearing about it? I had been made a, um, a Royal Society of New Zealand fellow um, for a year and, and it gave me a year to, to read and research and look for a story, look for a narrative. And I initially was looking at new, mateship and New Zealand experiences in, in Cairo. And in the process, I began interviewing a number of veterans and I came across Harold First, he was quite reticent and formal in the first interview I did, but I must have won his trust. And the second interview, he, he suddenly came out with this whole other narrative about being a homosexual soldier, um, as he would put it, um, in the war. And he um, let me know that he was still in touch with Douglas Morrison, who was still alive and living in London. So I continued with the interviews with Harold. I then flew to... London and interviewed Douglas. Um, I uncovered that Douglas's family thought he was dead. They had uh, placed all his letters and diaries at the New Zealand um, Army Museum. I then tracked down, um, looking actually at the electoral rolls and tracked down his surviving sister, went to visit her, first explained that her brother was actually still alive. Um, and then, um, she had a, an old trunk that he had left in 1945 when he left New Zealand. He had never returned after the war. And in it were lots of photos, lots of scripts from the um, Kiwi Concert Party, um, more letters. Um, wow. So I kind, of, I kind of struck gold. And as, a, as, a, as an historian, as a researcher, I suddenly realized I've got all these letters, I've got diaries, I've got um, Douglas and Harold still alive. Um, and later on found uh, an album Ralph Dyer had given just before he died to the National Library in New Zealand uh, with a lot of photographs um, that are used in the book. And then continued to research and, 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 and go wider around their stories, researching who else were they interacting with, finding some other archives of uh, homosexual men. Um, I later also looked at the court martial files, 
which also um, are, are referred to in the book, um, got denied two or three times, but eventually con uh, convinced the Judge Advocate General that to allow these to be open for me because they're sealed for 100 years and found actually there were very few prosecutions in the New Zealand military forces. Um, indecency charges, there's like 14 charges um, involving 10 New Zealand men that have survived. So began looking at that and thinking, why, why do we have so little prosecutions? Just yeah. paint us a bit of a picture about what you learned about what life was like in the military for somebody who was homosexual in World War II. And, and even from the view of your three main people, what was the importance of these shows to soldiers? Mm, well, the first part of the question, I think really the book perhaps challenges our understanding of the past. I think homosexual men found room to manoeuvre in their private lives uh, during their wartime military service. And they did they were able to pursue uh, their sexual interests. Um, I think being away from home, being away from the scrutiny of their family and community gave men a freedom that they didn't necessarily have back in their own communities. And I think that the homosocial nature of relationships within the armed force during warfare meant that those bonds between men were often really close and that there was an intense intimacy which on one aspect leads to these profound friendships. We call, we call them the mateship bonds. Uh, we talk about mateship between men in war. And, and that is uh, on an interpersonal level, that's on a platonic level. But it also, those bonds could be a cover for more sexually intimate relationships. That's Brent Coots, author of the book Crossing the Lines, the story of three homosexual soldiers in World War II, with us on Joy 94.9. How excited would you be when you found that that chest? Somebody said, oh, yeah, I've got that box that's sort of sitting down in the garage that's, you know, mm. from uncle such and such 50 years ago. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a, the, the, the joy when people keep those, um, you know, mementos and those family stories that come out. You know, how amazing to find out something like that in your existed in your family, particularly if you yourself identify today as if you're part of the community. And good that the families didn't try to hide it too. Yeah. Coming up, uh, we learn how the spirit of mateship may in fact have helped homosexual soldiers. This is World Wide Wave. Where our diverse communities can come together. Joy. This is Florine from the Women in LGBT Rights Organisation, except speaking from Bucharest and the World Wide Wave. We talk about homosexuality in World War II in the New Zealand Army. Part of the show is about these female impersonators, so we put it out to you to tell us your drag name, or if you haven't got one, all you've got to do is send us your initials, and uh, we'll give you one. We'll give you one. Now, Alex, mm -hmm. I'm going to uh, christen you Fifi Boudoir. Fifi Boudoir. Fifi Boudoir. Yeah, I kind of wish, according to this, my uh, first... My Surname started with F because I love the name Fifi Fontitz. Um, <laughs> so we need somebody with a surname starting with F. My mother's maiden name was F, so I could, you know, I could be. Uh, 
stretch the rules there and be Fifi Fontitz. And and I would be Bodacious Babes. Well, that's, that's got a good ring to it. Mm. Bodacious Babes. I'm not sure what a Babes is. So send us in your initials, 0427 569 949 or on air at joy.au. But back to our show tonight. Uh, the Anzac legend is ingrained in Australian and New Zealand societies. But not as much is known about the role of queer people in wartime. For New Zealand, this has changed with stories in a new book titled Crossing the Lines. It details stories of homosexual soldiers in World War II, in particular a trio of female impersonators that entertained the troops. One of the key pillars of the Anzac legend is mateship. It is a virtue that has spilled over into modern society. We spoke to Brent Coots, the author, about mateship in the Anzac Corps and its impact on homosexual soldiers. So you're actually Carol. sort of suggesting mateship, which is this, you know, this um, sacred thing under the, the Anzac spirit. Mateship may have helped some of these soldiers to explore their homosexuality. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It certainly meant that when, when everyone's got a very close relationships between men, that your perhaps your relationship would be um, not questioned as it might be back at home. Um, Harold... Um, has a lover during the war, a man called Bob Murphy, another soldier in his battalion. Um, and in fact, the book contains um, sort of one, I think, one of the only photos uh, in New Zealand of two New Zealand soldiers in uniform together who are boyfriends. Um, they meet on Norfolk Island and they remain together um, during the rest of the campaign in the Pacific and in Guadalcanal. They get free time. They go to Namir. They go up north um, and go camping together in New Caledonia and spend time together. They, they tried to keep the relationship going um, in New Zealand. Um, Harold takes Bob back down to Dunedin to, to see friends. But I think that for Bob Murphy, perhaps, uh, here's an example where often also there's this element of, of situational homosexuality that you can, you can define some men as having. You know, they, they took the opportunities there, but they were never going to live as homosexual men back in back in New Zealand when they return to civilian life. Let's talk a little bit about the female impersonator side of things. Um, they were obviously there as entertainers in the war, but yep. this is sort of a, a highly masculine space. And, and even today in, you know, things like the footy show where, where buffy footy blokes get dressed up <laughs> as women, you know, it's seen as a big laugh. Why is female impersonation so appealing to the soldiers? Well, I think female impersonation was perhaps appealing to the soldiers, partly because in World War II, there are no women on the front line for a start. So it was not deemed appropriate to send female performers up to the front lines. So the shows needed to have, the shows are about society back home. They're nostalgic. Ralph plays this kind of sultry Rita Hayworth type of, of, of sex symbol. Douglas plays the kind of plain Jane girl next door or the mother figure in the skits that they put on. Uh, it's all humour. And in fact, it all in, in a way reinforces um, that kind of heterosexual, norm, heteronormative narrative back home uh, for the soldiers. But I guess my interest in the in the shows was uh, or my analysis of the, sh of the shows sort of 
indicates, I, I think that for many homosexual men watching the shows, they could pick up on cues and codes. And there was a kind of assumption that the actors playing the female impersonators were going to be homosexual men. And both Harold and Douglas talked about, you know, men wanting to meet them backstage. And as Harold said, well, they never met me as a woman, you know, I <laughs> changed into my, in, in, into being a man and they, and I came out and they met me and wanted to spend time with me as a man. So in, a, in that respect, perhaps communities form, uh, communities form for many different ways. And one of the ways community amongst homosexual men formed in the Second World War in the Pacific was around these concert parties and around these female impersonators. So a lot of American soldiers would, would come and meet them. And, and you know, Douglas, go, Douglas goes on dates as a man called Hal Schaefer, and they, they spend a week um, going, going out together each, each night, going to the movies in Numea, going to co- the little cafes in Numea, um, spending time together. Um, and in his diary, Douglas Morrison kind of waxes kind of romantic, um, romantically about um, meeting Hal and spending time with Hal. You know, the day means nothing more to me uh, after coming back from the, a date. A little bit corny for us today, <laughs> thing, but, um, but they uh, obviously they obviously had the 1940s. <laughs> they obviously had healthy sex lives, though. Really, yeah. In, in the yeah, middle of this war, definitely. they didn't seem to have a problem finding definitely men. And of course, that that contradicts the kind of narrative that we read when we read American books on World War Two and homosexual and American, uh, uh, because the American forces were much more intolerant. And American soldiers did get arrested and they did get uh, returned to the, to the mainland United States and they were dishonorably discharged. Whereas in the New Zealand military forces, that doesn't seem to be the case. I guess we have a, a citizen's army and everybody's needed. I found that um, when looking at the court martial files, the, there are so few of them for a start that um, on um, being, uh, that have survived that are about homosexuality. You know, as I said, 14 charges, 10, only 10 men. You know, it poses questions regarding how the military dealt with those homosexual activities. And in the case of the, the New Zealand soldier in, in, that was um, stationed in, in Lebanon, he's indiscreet. He does get uh, prosecuted. He gets a prison sentence. Um, he gets sent down to Cairo for that prison sentence. But then very quickly, within a couple of weeks, he's released and placed in another unit. Uh, his skills were too valuable to send him back to New Zealand. His skills were too valuable to lose. And you did yeah. also discover some positive stories um, of uh, men receiving transfers so they could be with their partners. Um, yes, uh, David Wildes, whose uh, um, archive is in Dunedin at the Hockham Archive, a um, obsessive keeper of records, kept uh, a copy of every letter he sent, kept every letter he received, has every diary, photographs of every lover. Um, he's yeah, quite a, um, a, quite a rec- um, obsessive character in terms of keeping a record of his life. Um, he, in his, in his diary, his lover gets sent up to the front line and he's desperate to go and meet him again uh, up there. 
he's younger he's just come out i guess as a as a homosexual man as a gay man he's in love um and is, is determined to go to be reunited with this guy he's met and he finds out that from other homosexual men uh, older homosexual men that they all know about brigadier dove and that he is an ally now, Brigadier Dove was second in charge of the Pacific campaign in, in New Zealand military forces. So he's a very, very senior person. He's married with a couple of kids, lives in, um, in Auckland. But he was well known by homosexual men for perhaps being on what we might call today on the down low. He was known as someone who participated in queer life. But to the official New Zealand heteronormative world, he is a straight man. But they knew that he was not so straight, I guess. And um, David Wildey approaches him, uh, talks with him, and Dove does find a way of transferring uh, Wildey, who's just a, a very minor hospital orderly. Um, he found a way of getting him up to the front line to Vela Lavella, where he's reunited um, with Darky Boyd, who is... Um, Charles Boyd, who he calls Darkie Boyd, is his, um, his lover. Wow. It doesn't work out completely. And in the end, um, Will D finds perhaps a better boyfriend in an American soldier um, who he continues to write with uh, after, they, um, after the war is over. There's some, a number of letters back and forth from America to New Zealand um, and photographs of this soldier. So... There is this interesting character of Brigadier Dove. And I was, for a start, I was, I was kind of reluctant about um, putting Dove in and thinking, oh, okay. But then I found Dove mentioned in quite a number of other archives of homosexual men. And, and, and Harold had already mentioned him in an interview as someone who made a pass on him at, at uh, Papakura military camp. So I thought, well, he's scattered throughout the archives. So the stories corroborate each other um he's so part of that story yeah he's part of that story and he's probably some someone who you know would might surprise some although i haven't had any kind of reaction about um including him uh, in the book coming up on joy 94.9 we find out what drove brent to invest 11 years of his life to bring this story to light this is worldwide wave our community is stronger with joy become a member joy.org.au Dzień dobry. I am Kylie from Poland. It's great to have a place like Joy 94.9 where we can talk about trans issues from across the globe on a worldwide wave. It is the show that takes you around the globe one queer story at a time, worldwide wave. Uh, special hello to everybody listening to us on podcast. You can subscribe to receive our podcasts automatically either at joy.org.au forward slash worldwide wave or on iTunes or your favourite podcast platform and don't forget to leave a review. In honour of our female impersonators that were uh, uh, working the troops in World War II, we're offering you your drag name tonight and uh, Marky Mark already has his drag name. It is... Dixie Normus. Mm, I think <laughs> Thank you, made you that Marky one. Mark. You made that one up, Marky Mark. I'd keep that one. That's a good one. That's a goodie. I thought, we, we, let's, what's the drive team? The drive team. So 
Um, Emily, uh, I know she's probably listening in on the way home. Emily would be Holly Delashes. And Warren. Warren, confetti, von tits. And just one more thing. Um, Joy is uh, looking for volunteers or encouraging people to be a part of our wonderful family here at Joy. Midsummer season's uh, upon us. You might be thinking, oh, I'd like to get more involved in the community. Uh, Joy's a great place to be. You can have an on-air role, an off-air role. Uh, there's lots and lots of behind-the-scenes uh, people that make just our show work, and then you multiply that across all the shows. Um, so if you're thinking about that, whether it be sort of operations and office assistance, communications and marketing, production or on air, go to joy.org.au to register your interest. Joy 94.9. Our guest tonight is Brett Coots, author of the new book called Crossing the Lines, the story of three homosexual soldiers in World War II. The book challenges long-held narratives and stereotypes about the uh, armed forces, particularly men in the New Zealand Army. It presents a service where homosexuality exists. For some soldiers, it even helps them get through wartime as close mateships become a new level of intimacy. Given that the book does present a different uh, narrative, we asked Brent if he had received any negative comments about the book from the Returned Services Movement, our equivalent of the RSL? Um, no, not at all. In fact, the Ministry of Defence, um, I've been down to talk to uh, the Ministry of Defence in Wellington, the capital of New Zealand, and um, the in New Zealand Armed Forces have a group called Overwatch. This group is part of the New Zealand Military Forces and is set up for gay, lesbian, trans, bisexual service members uh, who are active in in the armed forces. Um, It brings them together and supports them. Um, And in a way, the book creates this kind of collective DNA for those soldiers. These are their um, their queer ancestors in in the military forces during the Second World War. so it's um, they, they love the book, right? <laughs> um, right. They love the book. It, 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 it's and, and of course, it supports their narrative of being a very inclusive armed forces today. Yeah, they don't come off that bad. You see, there's not. There's not so- <laughs> Maybe it would be a different book if written uh, written for America. Um, yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Now, yeah. for you personally, because you spent eleven years writing, mm. or researching, and yeah. writing, piecing together this book. Um, yeah. I mean, it's clearly a passion project for you. Why yeah, has it been? Yeah, why has it been so important for you? I guess uh, during the time uh, that I was writing, both Harold and Douglas died. And they really wanted their story to be told. The families were excited about it being told when, when I'd contacted them. Um, I remember, you know, reading similar books. There's, there's Coming Out Under Fire in, by American author Alan Baru, but there's um, an, an, a similar book that's about the Canadian military forces. There's a British historian, Emma Vicker, who's done a... a, a I guess a version of this book, uh, analysing the British forces and, and, and homosexual soldiers. I felt that it was really important to have that story from the New Zealand perspective. 
so yeah, it, it is a it is I guess a passion project and one that I'm really happy to share with people. So it's a story that was too good not to be told. And fantastic uh, black and white photos in there as well to yeah. really add to that story. The book is Crossing the Lines, the story of three homosexual soldiers in World War II. The author is Brent Coots from New Zealand. Thank you so much for joining us on Worldwide Wave. Cool. Uh, Brent Coots, a.k.a. Bonita Biscuits by our drag name generator here. Bonita. We'll have to send him a message and let him know that. Um, fascinating story. <laughs> Why is it always the Kiwis that get ahead of us? I mean, yeah. I haven't seen a book about Australian. No, LGBT. but I've seen images of of men. I maybe they were these. Maybe there were images of these New Zealand, but I've um, definitely seen images of um, what I thought were Australian servicemen in drag during the war, and so um, and it fits very similar to the story. But as I say, because of the mixing of the two. Armed forces that could well have been these New Zealanders. But I wouldn't have been surprised that we didn't have similar strata, but yeah, maybe that story hasn't yet come out. It's also the where does this um, greater acceptance come from? Is it about the armed services themselves or is it about the whole culture? Like mm. the American experience right up until very recently has been uh, a lot worse for LGBT people in the military than, yeah. say, New Zealand, um, who are now an inclusive defence forces. I mean, America is now too, but it took them a, a lot of battles to get there. Um, I'm wondering if that is sort of just a part of the overall culture of the people as opposed to the culture of the defence forces. Well, it's hard to know how far we could take this to say whether, you know, uh, okay, during World War Two, this was a, in what seems to me, a quite constrained um, parameters, they were allowed this, you know, um, but not to say there wasn't, of course, rife homophobia in New Zealand armed forces um, outside this, you know, restricted space. But uh, so I don't, you know, I, I don't know, I'd have to go, you'd have to go deeper into it too. But I'm, certainly what I found interesting was what explains it, the mateship we mentioned and the, I, I think probably that exposure, being away from home and the exposure to other cultures allow the, uh, that allows you a degree of um, freedom that, you know, you don't have under the scrutiny of people who know you. And um, I wonder for how many soldiers, when they got back home, they went back to yeah. uh, the life that they were expected to live. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, to me, it seems very similar. There's probably strong parallels to being in the service and being in prison. Because he talks about what did he, what was the word he termed use the um, situational homosexuality um, yeah, yeah something a term like that and that's that to me I just think of that's exactly what happens in prison isn't it well there's no women so this is just what happens in prison stays in prison and you know and that's the so, way it is yeah want to hear more find out about LGBT life in over 100 countries. Download free podcasts of this show, subscribe to iTunes, or follow us on Twitter. Visit joy.org.au slash Worldwide Wave. This is Ryan Reed from the International Gay Rodeo Association, saddling up with Worldwide Wave on Joy 94.9. Drag names uh, tonight. We're doing a shout-out to our other team members who aren't with us tonight. So, Shannon, you are now christened Labia Biscuits. <laughs> And um, Stefan is also not here, or as we like to call him now, 
Shakira Tickles. Shakira Tickles. <laughs> Receive LGBT news from around the world throughout the week. Like Worldwide Wave on Facebook now. A huge thank you to our guest tonight, Brent Coots, author of the book Crossing the Lines, the story of three homosexual soldiers in World War II. You can get it at Hares and Hyenas right here in the Pride Centre or online. Also, the bookshop in Sydney, your favourite bookstore. Yeah, anywhere, really. And thank you to everyone who's interacted with us via Facebook, James Frank, Richard, David and heap more. And that's W3Joy on Facebook. And also our behind-the-scenes team, the fabulous Peter and Dean on social media and podcast. Thanks for listening to another podcast from World Wide Wave, the show that takes you around the globe one country at a time. World Wide Wave is the international news and current affairs show on Australia's LGBT radio station Joy 94.9. You can listen live every Tuesday night on 94.9 FM in Melbourne and online at joy.org.au. You'll find all our podcasts at joy.org.au slash worldwidewave, or follow us on Facebook for the latest international LGBT news. Search W3Joy on Facebook now. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.